Hey, you're listening to Cut for Time, a podcast from Faith Church located on the north side of Indianapolis. My name is Claire Kingsley, and each week I'll sit down with one of our preaching pastors to discuss their Sunday sermon. Cut for Time is a look behind the scenes of sermon prep, and they will share some things with us that we did not hear in the sermon. The goal of the podcast is to ask things like, why did our church need to hear this message on Sunday? Or, why did you personally need to preach this message? The pastors will also share some practical next steps. If you're like me, you might be thinking, I have barely enough time to brush my teeth or even listen to this podcast, and that's okay. That's why we'll make sure to share some practical application for those of you who are already feeling maxed out, and maybe some application for those of you who have more time and space to process. We're glad you're here listening. Here's my conversation with Pastor Joey. Hey, Joey, welcome back to Cut for Time. Hey, it's good to be here. Uh, So on Sunday, you preached from Isaiah chapters 52, verse 13 through 53, verse 3. Would you explain to us what part of the song is this in Isaiah, the sermon song, and give us a little summary of your sermon? Yeah, yeah, sure. So, uh, So for some broader context, Isaiah 40 through 55 is one big long section about the people going into exile and then being brought out of the exile by a servant. And in that, those 15 chapters, there's four songs about the servant. I mean, they're called songs, they're poems. I don't know if they were ever sung, but mm-hmm. servant songs, you know, the alliteration works, right? Um, and so we, we saw two of those songs in our previous series on God's heart for weary people. And then uh, Pastor Jeff preached the third of those four songs last week. This week, we started out in this fourth and final song, Servant Song, probably the one that's best known for Christians, because it's the one most explicitly about Jesus's death and suffering and all of that. So it's a five-part song. I preached the first two parts of the five-part song um, this last Sunday. So hopefully that's clear. I can make a diagram if we need to. That's, I mean, that's clear, clear. So if I can understand okay, it, clear, clear. our listeners can, yes. Mm-hmm. If it's clear, clear, we're good to go. Okay, yeah. So yeah. In, in those two stanzas, I mean, each each stanza, uh, each, so there's five stanzas, each one kind of has sort of a main point. I mean, there's part of me that I don't really like to talk about main sort of like didactic points of poetry because poetry is more about uh, emotion and impression than it is about, you know, time, date, point, fact, data, whatever. Yeah. That's what that's what treaties, treatises are for. But, That's why I wasn't but, good at poetry in high school. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I have never been. I've been forcing myself to read a lot more just to try to figure it out. Anyway, um, so yeah, 52, 13, 14, 15. That's stanza one, verse one. Um, and then 53, one, two, three is the second stanza of it. And the, the first one is really about this exalted servant who will suffer. Okay. So he's just being introduced at the very beginning of the song. Um Fifth chapter 52 before it is about how God's going to lead his people out of the exile. And there, this is like a cause for rejoicing, celebrate the exaltation of the servant who suffers. These things don't go together. They don't make sense. Mm -hmm. And because they don't go together, they don't make sense. The people who saw it didn't see it. They didn't see this, that this servant was, they'd looked at him and they're like, well, this guy's suffering. He can't be the servant. That's what the second Uh, stanza is all about. So with the two stanzas together, they sort of form this idea of what I consider to be the bottom line or the key idea of the sermon that, you know, God rarely shows up how we expect him to. And, And even when he tells us what he's going to do and how he's going to do it, odds are we're still going to miss it when it happens because we sort of get it in our minds to look at it one way. 
and think it makes sense. And then God shows up a different way. And in hindsight, it's like, oh, of course. Mm -hmm. But at the time, it's easy to miss God when he shows up. Joey, can you tell us a little bit about your sermon process and how, what happens from like the first attempt of, you know, going through a passage and reading it to delivering a sermon from the pulpit? What's that process like? And at what point in that process do you go through and read the original Hebrew and realize that sprinkle should be startle? Yeah, yeah. Um, oh, gosh. So the, the, the process really starts when when Pastor Jeff and I sit down and we're like, okay, what, what do we want to cover in the amount of time that we have sort of between key things, right? So this this part is this series for Lent. So we know when Lent starts with Ash Wednesday and we know when it ends on Easter. What do we want to study in that that segment that helps us focus on Jesus and prepare for Easter? So that, that's where sermon prep starts. We knew we wanted to do this servant song, of course, and I, we went ahead and assigned me all four sermons from this one song. So it's like, you know, one exegesis, one kind of study of the passage all the way through. Mm -hmm. um, so I sat down with uh, with the my English Bible, the text of it itself, and just read it over and over and over again. I've been reading it in the mornings um, for the last month or two, just trying to notice things that I wouldn't see otherwise if I was just coming to it now, uh, you know, seeing words that are the same and transitions and stuff like that. Anyway, just really trying to saturate in the text. Then I read a bunch of commentaries about it, take a ton of notes, type it all into the computer. I go back through those notes and I highlight the stuff that really stuck out to me of somebody saying like, oh, that's, I think that's an important point to make, or uh, it's an, that's an interesting take this guy has, it's different from this guy. Um, and then there's a point where you kind of pick and choose like what um, to get nerdy on it, like what text critical issues you're going to deal with. Uh, text criticism is the science of looking at, you know, all the different copies of one book that we have and comparing those copies to each other and being like, okay, what's different between this one and that one? And which one do we think is more likely to be the original version versus one that was like accidentally changed or a misspelling or whatever. And mm -hmm. so uh, wrestle with some of those. That's where the whole sprinkle versus startle thing comes in. Mm -hmm. um, that's a, that one's not really a text critical issue. It's more of an interpretive issue, but I'll come back to that anyway. Um, and then I just basically start preaching at the screen and like typing what I'm thinking is if I were explaining this and, and my approach is very like, let's just walk through the passage. So verse one, here's what, you know, and you should see this and this is the important stuff, right? Mm -hmm. So I'll preach it kind of at the keyboard um, and then go back and read what I wrote and try to find sort of the connections or the through lines or like, what is all this summarizing up to say? Um, so I don't like have an outline ahead of time that I then try to match everything to like, you know, there's, there's like two classic approaches to making a point in an essay or something like that. The first is deductive where you tell people what you're going to tell them and then you tell them and then you tell them what you told them. Mm -hmm. uh, and so it's like, here's my thesis, point one in support of my thesis, point two in support of my thesis, point three, you know, and then again, here's my thesis. I really enjoy more of the inductive approach, which is, hey, look at this idea, and then this one, and this one, and they start to tie together, and then we learn this. Yeah. So kind of a broader to more specific direction, uh, mostly because that's sort of how I just find myself um, teaching or thinking through a passage anyway. So I'm going to, okay. you know, 
talk it all at the or type it all at the computer and then go back and be like, how do I need to boil this down? If I can, if I only had 30 seconds, what would I say and how would I summarize and stuff like that? And that sort of gives, gives me the um, sense of what the sermon through line is. Um, and then uh, usually on the Thursday before we preach, uh, we'll host a zoom call with uh, elders and staff and anybody who, who wants to jump on like our connection class teachers and I'll just preach what I've got at them and ask for feedback. Like what worked, what didn't work. And, you know, you can tell by people's faces when you lose them. And then so I make a quick note of like, oh, I need to clear this up here. Or for the first time, sometimes when you're saying something like it, just you realize, oh, I need a transition here because it doesn't make any sense. And, you know, mm -hmm. stuff like that. That's probably way more than anybody wanted to hear. Um, but ultimately, as they say, sermons are never finished. They're just abandoned at some point. Well, they just need to be taught at some point. They, yeah, exactly. It's never it done. It's just delivered. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. So um, did you want to give us any more insight as to sprinkle versus startle? Because, sure, you yeah. know, if I was reading that passage and I could imagine all the words that I could, that sprinkle could mean, it would not <laughs> mean startle. Startle's not one of them. Right, right. Okay. So um, do you have like a sound effect for nerd alert? Like, Clacks uh, on, clacks on. Yeah, I'll get like. one. Yeah, okay, because this is about to get real super nerd. Okay, so um, this part of the Old Testament is written in Hebrew. Okay, mm -hmm. um, Hebrew is a language as written at this time. There's a couple things to keep in mind. First, it's read from right to left. Um, secondly, there are no vowels, so only consonants. Um, so you know, a, a word like um, uh, now I'm trying to think of something off the top of my head. A, a word like dog would just be DG, which okay. could be dog or dig or dug or dug a proper name. Like you don't know what it is except for the context because there's no vowels in there. Okay. Um, also, uh, the, because stuff to write on and stuff to write with is super expensive. Like there's no spaces. Um, all the letters are just run together. So especially in poetry sections, um, it can become at times difficult to say like, where does a word end and where does a word start and how do they come, you know, how do you pull words together and, and what do they mean? So you have these, um, you have this, this word that means sprinkled and it's basically just three consonants. Most Hebrew words are three consonants and later interpreters have inserted vowels in there to give us a clue what those words are, what they think the words are supposed to be. So sometimes um, people who are trying to understand the Hebrew will argue about, well, should it be these vowels, which mean this, or should it be these vowels, which mean that, right? Mm -hmm. Same, same three letters, same like DG, but does it mean dog or does it mean Doug? And you don't know except for the vowel, okay? So in this case, what's going on here with this word uh, sprinkle? Um, it's, it's three consonants. It's a word that is normally understood to mean sprinkle as in like a, a priestly offering, you know, sprinkling the blood on the altar, right? Um, but every other time this word is used in the Hebrew Old Testament, it's used with other grammatical stuff happening around it. There's uh, prepositions that follow it, specifically what is being sprinkled on what, and that's all missing from the text here. So a lot of people look mm -hmm. at it and go, okay, if it's sprinkle, this is the only time, which doesn't mean it's wrong, but it's the only time that this word is used in this sort of weirdly grammatic way. Sure. Okay. Um, and so that sends interpreters going, well, if, if sprinkle doesn't make sense, what does make sense? Mm -hmm. And there is a loan word in Hebrew from Arabic 
that is the same three consonantal letters um, that can mean um, that that mean this sense of like startling, shocking, uh, of confronting someone. Mm-hmm. And so the thought is, well, possibly this word. And, and again, if it is, it's the only time it's being used. Doesn't mean it's right. Doesn't mean it's wrong. But possibly this word is a borrowed word from Arabic that means to shock someone, uh, to startle them. And so some translations will interpret it uh, sprinkled, as in like the ESV or the NIV, and others will use shocked, like the NET. And it's up to the 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 person who's reading through, without knowing all that Hebrew. I should just say, like, if you read something like this and you're like uh they were sprinkled that's odd you know right away my esv has a footnote or startle so that helps okay maybe it's startle but you can read other english translations you never have to get into the hebrew but read other english translations and see how they translate it and get a sense of that's interesting some go this direction some go that direction maybe it's not super clear anyway neither view sprinkle or startle is without um without grammatical difficulties but for my money, I think startled makes better sense as a parallel against the shocked and appalled that came earlier rather than sprinkled as a hint towards what comes later. Okay. I think startled makes better sense. Okay. So um, I maybe should have referenced, even just like read the verse for people who are listening, but just now we can have, you know, come full, full circle. Um, we're talking about verse 15 and we're talking about obviously the servant. So he shall, so shall he sprinkle many nations or startle many nations. So I guess I would like to tie this to your application for, um, for all of us on Sunday was to, mm-hmm. we are surprised by how God, we are startled with how God um, shows up in our circumstances. Yeah. We don't see him when he like we're asking for him to show up and it's not maybe the way that we expect and so you mentioned as a part of your application is to stop asking God to just show up and instead start praying for us to see how he's already working in a situation so would you just uh extend that a little bit further out give us something to think about for the rest of the week um some more application how can we do that and how can we even maybe take it one step further Sure. Yeah, I would say, uh, so taking it further, all of these sort of application ideas, well, because the the sort of main idea is learning to see what God is doing more clearly, you know, these application ideas aren't necessarily like go out and do this thing or do that thing, except the, except for doing the things we need to do in order to see more clearly, in order to better understand the world around us and how God is working in it. So I would say like, if you have no time at all, um, you you're, you know, you're super busy and just on the way, then some, at some point in your morning routine, um, just pause, whether you're grabbing your car keys for the first time, or, you know, if you have glasses or contacts and you're putting your glasses on for the first time in the morning, uh, you're putting your contacts in, just pause long enough to say, Lord, help me to see you mm-hmm. at work today. That's it. Um, yeah. Lord, help me to see you at work today. Um, because that's the thing is we need to be able to see where he's working. Um, if you have a little bit more time uh, or you're able to kind of more consciously come back to that idea during the day, I'd say, you know, repeat that prayer at lunchtime. Repeat that prayer when you take your glasses off at night. So try to uh, live conscious of how God might be showing up. Um, not in a sense of like, I wonder if God's over here or over there doing that, but just saying, hey, it, 
God, if you're working in this situation, you know, show me, keep that more in mind throughout the day. Sure. Um, and then I'd say, you know what, if you have a ton of time, uh, you can carve out a couple of hours. Um, Maybe sit down and think back over your life with a friend or a spouse uh, or a parent or a child. Think back over your life in the ways that God has shown up for you that you didn't see initially and, and capture those, journal those, write out some of those stories, even if it's a brief paragraph or a line or something like that. Mm -hmm. um, you know, Write that out and uh, figure out how you can share those stories with the people you love. Um, it, it's in the habit of looking back seeing how God did show up, that we, we get better at seeing how he is showing up now. Yeah. So few ideas. That's great. Thanks, Joey. I'd encourage if people are doing that and capturing those stories also to share them. If they're not, you know, processing through it with somebody to eventually share that because, oh yeah, totally. you know, God give us, gives us testimonies and we then can share that with others to encourage Absolutely. Them, I mean, I see. think that's one of the that's one of the greatest things about the faith stories class that yeah. faith does every, every summer is hearing other people's stories about how God showed up in their lives. And then mm -hmm. thinking, I wonder if he is or has, or will do that in my life. Yeah. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of cut for time. If this conversation has blessed you in any way, we encourage you to consider sharing it with others. If you ever wish to submit questions to our pastors following their Sunday sermon, you can email your questions to podcast at faithliveitout.org, and we'll do our best to cover the question in the episode. We'll be back again next week. Thanks for listening.